If you have a Bible, I would love for you to join me here at the start of our study in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. We're going to look at a couple of different passages, but I want us to begin there. In two weeks, we're going to begin a verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter, but this morning and next Sunday, I want us to do a little background work on the Apostle Peter. And what I love about Peter's life is you can't study his life without hearing the story of Jesus. That's a good goal for your life, by the way. Nobody be able to tell the story of your life without the story of Jesus. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other Others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the one thing that changes everything. In a moment we're going to pray, but here's what I want you to see at the front, that when Jesus is standing on the shore and he looks out of the Sea of Tiberias, he sees Peter doing what? Going back to what he used to be and who he used to be. And Jesus isn't going to let that continue. This matters because this morning... We're all prone to do what Peter's doing, to go back to who we used to be. We'll talk about the one thing that changes everything. Father, I pray in Jesus' name right now, so many ways Peter's story is the story of anyone who would follow Jesus. He'd been called out of that boat. He'd been called out of that life. But something's going on in his heart and in his mind that he's gone back to who he used to be before he met Jesus. So Peter's life is not a life of a testimony of his own steadfastness, but it is a testimony of yours. And may that testimony resound in this sanctuary this morning for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to um, head in the direction of studying through the book of 1 Peter verse by verse. I think the healthiest and best way to study the Bible is to study it that way. Uh, that that uh, is the way the Holy Spirit has already put Scripture together. And so studying through whole books of the Bible, of course, is, uh, I think, our preference. But before we jump into studying the book of 1 Peter, uh, I want us to look at a few things that happen in Peter's life. Uh, I just know that uh, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... The only name mentioned more often than Peter's name is Jesus. And any time that uh, the Gospels record the 12 apostles, Peter's name is always first. Uh, We're given more information about Simon Peter in the Gospels than anyone else, of course, Jesus, uh, other than Jesus, of course. And you're likely familiar with scenes from Peter's life. You may know that he's a fisherman. Anybody here like to fish? Peter was a fisherman from Capernaum, had a brother, Andrew, who was also a disciple. And those two boys, Peter and Andrew, were good friends with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were also fishermen from Capernaum. 
In fact, there's good evidence that before Peter and Andrew and James and John were disciples of Jesus, they had been disciples of John the Baptist, but they were good listeners because they saw that John the Baptist said, there he is, and they said, we'll go after him. Hey, uh, among the disciples, no one speaks as often as Peter does. Anybody in the room quick to speak? No one is spoken to by Jesus among the disciples more than Peter. We should also note that no disciple is frequently corrected by Jesus as much as Peter. And Peter is the only disciple who ever attempts to correct Jesus. Peter confesses Christ more boldly than any disciple there at Caesarea Philippi. Yet within moments, he's being more strongly corrected by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. So all that to say that Peter's a man of contradictions, isn't he? One of the most famous scenes is Peter walking on the water, the only one to get out of the boat, but then he plunges down and Jesus, talk about saving from a raging sea, right? Well, Peter is a man of contradictions, and so am I, and so are you, right? In fact, I think one of the reasons we have so much biographical information about Peter in the Gospels is because we're so much like him. The assumptions Peter has about his own life are the assumptions we're born having. And the things we think Jesus should do, that Peter thinks Jesus should do, there's, we're prone to all of those things as well. Now, Peter is a man of contradictions. In fact, his very name, Simon Peter, uh, gives us a hint of that. I'm a person of contradictions. Have you ever said that you'll do something and then you didn't do it? Or have you ever said, there's no way I'll ever do this, and then turns out that's the very thing that you do? Well, that's true of Peter. Here's the good news. Peter and me and you, we're all people of contradictions. But Jesus is not. Jesus never says, I'll do something and doesn't do it. The best thing about Peter's life is how through it we're able to see the faithfulness, mercy, grace, power, and character of Christ. My aim this morning is either to ignite or perhaps by God's grace reignite in you a zeal for following the Lord. Peter, John 21, has lost a measure of that. We'll talk why and then what it is that Jesus does to get him back on track, so to speak. So I want us to look at a couple of scenes from his life. We'll get back to John 21, but let's turn together to Mark 14. So hold your spot. You have a marker there in John 21. Uh, but Mark 14 we want to look at. And this event takes place before what we see in uh, John 21. In fact, I think it's because of what happens in Mark 14 that Peter does what he does in John chapter 21. Again, maybe thematically, we want to think about how we are prone to going back to the life we used to live before we began to follow Jesus. And so I just simply ask you that. Right now, August 2021, have you sort of returned to the person you used to be? Or maybe you're caught back up in some things that you felt like by now I should have overcome. And metaphorically speaking, you just stepped back in the boat and said, I'm going to go back fishing. 
Now, you notice when Peter did that, he didn't do it alone. He led some others to do the same. And so sometimes in life we think, oh, this is just me. But what you decide and how you live, it really does have an effect on other people. So let's look at Mark 14 and uh, verse 26. Mark 14 and verse 26. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, this is right after the, what we call the Last Supper, Jesus has washed their feet, and then uh, they, they had shared the meal of Passover, which is all pointing to Jesus' death on the cross. And Jesus said to them, All right, they're headed out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And you can tell the effect Peter has on other people. They all said the same. Same chapter, verse 66, after Jesus has been arrested and is on trial. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. He denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders said again to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You know, I think this is one of the reasons that you and I can trust the Gospels as an eyewitness account. Peter's the primary source behind Mark writing the Gospel, and he lays it all out there, right? I mean, if you were going to tell a story, you might skim over some facts like, like, for example, I went and denied Jesus not once, not two times, times. Tim Keller said, Peter promises he will never forsake Jesus, and Jesus tries to calm Peter down. Peter responds by more emphatically promising to die if necessary, and within hours he does everything he promised he would not do, and he does it three times. If you do something one time, you can excuse it, but three times is the real you. And he goes on to say the most egregious part is that when they notice he is a Galilean, he began to curse. And that verb in the original language is a transitive verb. It means it has an object. He is calling down curses on someone or something. And it's not a reflexive verb, so it's not a curse on himself. Who is he calling a curse down on? It looks like he is calling curses down on Jesus himself. And the reason that's important is... Their culture is a little bit different than our culture. Their culture is what we would call a shame culture. We don't live in a shame culture. You know that, right? We live in and we're not ashamed of anything kind of culture. But in that time and place, you know what Peter does? 
For, for example, if you really were a follower of Jesus, the last thing you would do is what Peter has done. And in order to really prove it, he calls down these curses. And Luke's account is it's about that moment that Jesus and Peter lock eyes, right? And you see the contrast, right? Peter is uh, in a crowd being questioned by a servant girl. Jesus is before the high priest being questioned. And, and you should see the comparison that though innocent, Jesus is going to take our guilt and go to the cross so that we could go free. Jesus and Peter are both being questioned at the same time and both have their lives at stake at the same time. But that's where the similarities end. Jesus is tried publicly by all the powers of the society. Peter's interrogated by a, a servant girl. The, the word used there is this kind of a little girl. It's a child. So the contrast is important. And here's what I want you to know. You will, you will stand before the authority, the high priest, the king, the one who really is in charge. You will stand before the Lord. But here's our hope. When that happens, he's not denying us. Praise God. He's claimed you as his own. When that moment comes, we have a king who says, well, that one belongs to me. I've purchased him with my own blood. I have atoned for his sins completely, finally, eternally. So here's a principle for our lives. Your life, present and future, will be defined either by your failures or the forgiveness of your failures in Christ. You know, um, Peter will go on to write in his epistle years later, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again, listen to it, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is unfading, undefiled, and kept in heaven for you. Do you know why Peter is breaking down and weeping at the end of verse 72? He's dying to a false hope. And his false hope is my false hope and your false hope. You know what the hope is? We got it in us. We're sufficient. We can pull this off. Hey, even if everybody else denies you, I'm with you to the end. And here we are just hours later. Now, after the denial, after his betrayal, after denying the best friend he has, after denying Jesus when he said he wouldn't do, that leads Peter to do something I think a lot of people end up doing in their lives. Now we go back to John 21. Jesus had said to Peter, I want you to listen really carefully to the way Jesus says it. And he calls Peter at the beginning, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, right? You know that's what he said. And now here's Jesus standing on the shore after the resurrection. And Peter's not a fisher of men. What is he? He's going back to being a fisherman, right? But listen again to what Jesus says. Follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. Peter has this concept in his mind, and I think we all do, that we'll make ourselves into something. But we won't. All we have in us is sin and denial. But one thing that changes everything is that Jesus went to the cross 
died, went to the tomb, and lives again. And it's because of the resurrection that Peter can't go back to who he used to be. Now, here we are in John 21, just as day was breaking. So that's a hint for us. When was Jesus risen? All right, as the sun was coming up, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. He said to them, verse 5, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. Now, another principle for your life, you try to go back to the way you used to be, dead end, dry holes, no fish, right? He's trying to go back to the way that he used to be, but he's not catching anything. It'll always be unfruitful to try to go back to who you used to be. So he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Is this the first time this has happened? Of course not. Now here's something that um, I'm having corrected in my life. I used to think, I used to think that there would be just one momentous moment in my life and from that time on, I'd have my act together, right? Have you thought this? But let's think for a moment about Peter's life. It's a momentous moment when Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And Peter, you know the verse, what does he do? He lays down his nets and he begins to follow Jesus. And from that time on, lived happily ever after. That's not what happens, is it? From that time on, we find him kind of fighting with the other disciples about which of them is the greatest. Until there's a storm and Peter's in the boat and Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter stands up out of the boat and he says, or stands up in the boat and says, if it's really you, tell me to come and I'll come. And he goes, and what a momentous moment. I don't know how many steps, maybe three, maybe four. And then when he sees the waves, plunges. Jesus rescues, puts him back in that boat. And from that moment forward, Peter never wrestles with sin. Well, that's still not true, is it? How about the moment when he, similarly to this earlier, had been in the boat, fished all night, didn't catch anything, and Jesus says to him, why don't you put your nets on the other side? And Peter's got this thought in my mind, well, Jesus knows some things about the Lord, but I'm the fisherman. I know how to do this. And almost to kind of humor Jesus, he plunges the nets, and then there's so many fish they can't. And then, do you remember what Peter says? He gets on his knees and bows his face before, I'm a sinful man. And from that moment, no, it's still not, is it? We're learning some things about ourselves. Then... Then Caesarea Philippi, who do people say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Who do you say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Simon, son of John, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And then moments later, get behind me, Satan. You see, it goes on. And then we might even say, after the resurrection, Peter has his act together. Still not. Acts 1, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You go and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit comes, preaches at Pentecost, got his act together from that time on. Still, no. Peter, go share the good news of the gospel with Cornelius. I ain't going to his house. Vision, dream. Cornelius, his whole family comes to faith. From that point on, Peter's good to go. No. Galatia. Paul says, I had to oppose Peter to his face. Because as a Jewish man, or a Jewish convert to Christ, he wouldn't even sit with the Gentiles. So what I'm telling you is, all works in progress. All works in progress. There is a day coming. Maybe this would be better. There is a day coming when from that moment forward, you'll be holy and just and righteous in everything that you think and in everything that you do. And that's the day that is 
coming. Amen? It is coming. In this life, though, don't use this as a permission to just punt to say, well, okay, well, I'll go back to the life I used to. No, he's working in you. We're, con- we're people of contradictions. Jesus is not. So there is no contradiction in Jesus saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. But sometimes, sometimes we make mistakes that are so significant that we conclude I've failed to the point of unusability. So the only thing I can do is go back to who I used to be. Let me give you an example of that. 1991, I was 12 years old. Baseball was just about my life. I played for the Elks. Our rival was Evening Optimist. That might not mean much to you, but for a 12-year-old in 1991, Elks against Evening Optimist, uh, Evening Optimist was Duke and Carolina level for us. And they were our rivals, and they were a first-place team. We were a second-place team. It's just one of those things that happened. The last game of the season, we're playing them. The winner wins. And then if that wasn't dramatic enough, we get to the last inning. We're down one run, two outs, runner on second, and I'm coming up to bat. I'd hit some home runs that year. I really began to think, hey, I can do this baseball thing. And um, Coach pulls me aside and says, now this sounds so arrogant. This, I should this probably, no matter who it was, he probably would have said this. That would be a, what a coach would do. Of everybody on the team, I'm glad it's you. I said, well, I appreciate that, Coach. So I go to the plate. Guy fires the ball, and I smack it. I mean, the way it sounded, it sounded like the other times I'd hit home run. I mean, it flies out to center field, and the team gets up. They're cheering. We've won the game. That's what we're thinking. And that trajectory was like a moonshot. And I sat there and said, man, I've never hit a ball like that. And then zooming out, and it came down, and it hit the fence and bounced back in the field. This close. Now, here's the tragedy. I was still in the batter's box. (laughs) It had been such a glorious shot and their coach starts to scream to their outfielder throw the ball to first and at that moment I drop the bat and I'm running with everything I've got and I'm running running I was told don't look at the ball man I wanted to look at the ball don't look at the ball just run and before my foot hit the bag I heard the thwop of the first baseman catching the ball I was not much of a praying man in that time in my life, but I prayed, Lord, please, please let that umpire call me safe. And I looked up at him, and I could tell on his face, he said, oh, I hate to do this, but out, game over, done. Went from hero to fool like that. And when I got in my mom's car, (laughs) I keep telling stories about when I break down crying at 11 and 12. She said, honey, good game, and I just... (laughs) I can't believe I did that. I never wanted to play baseball again. I never wanted to pick up a bat. I said, I have done something so foolish. When you fail in life, you tend to withdraw. Peter, in John 21, is returning to what he thinks he can handle 
and what he thinks he can do. Friends, God is not calling you to do things you can do. Things you're up for. Things you've got a skill set for. It's not like God is calling you to say, okay, well, you're good at this, do this. No, he's calling you to do something that on your own and apart from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, you'll never be able to do. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Take the gospel to the unreached. The reality check for us is is God calls us to do things we're not up for. Put others first. Have this mind in you that is yours in Christ Jesus. To consider others as better than yourselves. We're not born that way, but you are born again that way. What we can see here in John 21 is that Peter is done trying to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ is not done with making Peter an apostle. So I really want you to hear this this morning. And I want you to really think about it. Jesus is not done with you. He's not finished with you. He's not fed up with you. He does know your failures, right? He does know what you've done, where you've been. And all of us could say, we've we've failed, we've sinned. And after those fish come back, that's the first couple of hints already. Sun's rising, references the resurrection. Jesus does something in Peter's life that he's done before. That disciple, verse 7, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, why to Peter? Peter needs to hear this. It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. And in my mind, I say, here comes Peter, it's the Lord, and he's excited, and there he is, and then he gets to shore, and what have we got? Why a charcoal fire? What's Jesus doing? He's creating an environment that no doubt will call to Peter's mind his failures. It was by a charcoal fire that Jesus had been denied by Peter. But, but now we got to ask, why is Jesus doing this? To just make Peter feel bad, right? Well, let's keep reading. With fish laid out on it and bread, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard. I imagine his heart rate's about 180 at this moment. And hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to him, come and have breakfast. Who do you sit with and have breakfast in that culture? With your friends. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, Lord? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. We're going to get to the section where, of course, Jesus is going to ask Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, as a counterweight, so to speak, of the three denials. But this is now the third time. Three is the number of completeness, right? If you do something three times, that's the real you. What is Jesus telling him? I'm not done with you. I'm not discarding you. I'm not finding 
some other people to pull this off. No, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to remind Peter, yes, of his failures, but we're going to plunge them into God's grace. Therefore, there is no more effective ambassador for Jesus than those who have failed and know it, but been forgiven and restored by the one that they failed. Amen? That's what's going on here. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So verse 15. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus, he's going to put his attention right on Simon Peter. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to himself, uh, I'm sorry, he said to him, follow me. The resurrection changes everything. See, Peter had a hope in his own faithfulness. You line the 12 apostles up, I'm going to stand out. That was his hope. They'll deny, I won't. It's a, it's a false hope because it's a hope that's ultimately placed in his own ability. And then when he inevitably failed, I want you to see that Jesus doesn't discard him. Jesus restores him. I want you to hear this. Jesus does not discard him. Jesus restores him. Our God is a restorer, not a discarder. Amen? Peter had it in his mind. The only thing I'm up for now is to go back fishing. Jesus says, no, you're going to be my preacher at Pentecost. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and you are going to have a life and a death that will glorify me. What does Peter have to die to? Lesser loves. Notice that Jesus doesn't ask, are you loyal to me, Peter? Are you loyal to me? Will you serve me? Will you serve me? Will you serve me? Will you never do that again? Will you never? No, what's the word? Do you love me? So I would love to tell you that Jesus is not calling you to be loyal to him and serve him apart from loving him supremely. That's what the call is for. One of the things that would most lead you to love the Lord is to see his grace for you at the cross. And when he comes up from the resurrection, he's not out to settle scores because with his death, the score had already been settled. Now, he is telling Peter to do something, right? He doesn't say, Peter, do you love sheep, so therefore feed sheep? No. Our serving of the Lord is in line with our love for him. So feed my sheep, same word as shepherd or, or, uh, or pasture, lead my sheep. You're, you're leading sheep back to the fishing boat. That's not what I've called you to, to do. 
in conclusion, I think it's helpful to think about the posture Jesus says will happen with Peter. He says, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. A little bit of a reference to Peter, now you're trying to go back to who you used to be. But, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Here's how Jesus found Peter. Found him like this, right? Man, ready to take on the world. You just tell me who to fight, God, I'll fight him. I'll even fight these other disciples. This is the posture that Peter has when Jesus finds him. Now, after the denial, I think this has been Peter's posture, right? Just cover up in shame. I'm lowly and gentle of heart. So gentle Jesus comes and says, it's not that first one, it's not this, it's this. This is the posture of Jesus, isn't it? Of compassion, kindness, arms wide open, a course pointing to the cross, both Jesus dying on the cross and the death that Peter will die. He says, now your arms are wide open. Now, let's wrap up by you really thinking about when it comes to your soul, what is your posture this morning? You this, right? Ready to go? Or are you this? Well, the one who fights for us and the one who covers us is Jesus. And when you really believe that, when you really trust that, you can live like this. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead, to an inheritance that's undefiled, unfading. It's being guarded in heaven for you. In this you rejoice, do you? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Anybody grieved by various trials? We're so that the tested genuineness of your faith may result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know who wrote that? Peter did. Do you know why he wrote it? Of course, the Holy Spirit inspired him to. But those are the words of one who comes to the point in his life where he realizes, I'm not being discarded, I'm being restored. And I love him more than anything else. Well, I want to assure you that you are not somebody that God is done with, and I know that because you're sitting here and you're breathing right now. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray together, and then we'll have a time of response. And um, I think really what's on my heart or my mind as I conclude the message this morning is to simply ask you, have you kind of gone back to some things that God has called you out of? And maybe it's because of a failure. Just hear the testimony of Peter. God did some amazing things in my life that were powerful. But I didn't always have my act all together. So I'm going to keep looking to the one who there is no contradictions in him. The best question to ask in the time of invitation would be this. Let's take Peter's name out of it and you put yours in. Instead of Simon... Peter, you say your name. Do you love me? You're ready to answer that question 
best when you know you don't have to ask Jesus whether he loves you because he's clearly shown that he does. Father, my sins are many. But your grace is more. Father, I pray specifically in the name of Jesus for those who are here this morning and um, they're just back in the fishing boat. I pray that we really trust that our failures are not final, but your forgiveness is. You're doing a work in us. So to use the scripture, I pray there's some people here this morning that, that uh, be like Jesus is standing at sunrise on the shore of Tiberias. And they know that you've come back for them or you're pursuing them not to discard them but to claim them by your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.